I preach the word of the Lord to you from that reading from Galatians chapter 6, as we heard it read from verses 1 to 16. And the verse that I'd like to then underline is, do not give up doing good. Do not give up doing good. And the subtitle is, uh, Life in the Spirit. My dear brothers and sisters, there's something very amazing about God's grace. In the life of Ahab, the godless king of Israel, God kept knocking on the door of his life. He hardened his heart for the call of the gospel through the prophets. He rejected the grace of the gracious God, but in the end had to enter eternity without God and God's mercy. Because God, God's mercy and justice and his righteousness cannot be altered. God is sovereign. He's the only one who saves. And amazingly, he does not take away from us our responsibility to live as children of his covenant. This act of rejection of grace did not leave God embarrassed as if Ahab was stronger than God. It rather shows that God's justice is just. When Manasseh, the serial disobedient and rebellious sinner we read about two weeks ago, who killed more people than anyone before him in the streets of Jerusalem, including his own sons, when he begged for forgiveness and restoration by God's grace, God gave it to him. And we stand in awe as we look on. Surely, there must be a limit to God's grace. But God restored him not because he had something good to offer to God, God restored him because his justice is just. When the Apostle Paul, the good man who did everything right according to the law, discovered that his self-righteousness was an offense to the cross of Jesus Christ, God showed him mercy. God did not so because he led a life Better, if you compare that to Ahab and Manasseh, God did so because his justice is just. God's justice is just because it is met by the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the complete price to save sinners. He came into this world as we heard last week from Timothy chapter 1, to save sinners. That was his mission. And that mission he accomplished. Not one sinner predestined from all eternity in Christ Jesus will be lost on the day of the return of Christ when he will bring to the Father all who was ordained to be saved. Not one will be missing. Not one. 
We learn from the scriptures that we are saved by grace, not by good works. Our righteousness before God is not what we achieved by good works in order to be saved by what was purchased by Christ for us. And that we hold on to by faith. The Galatians fell from grace. Not long after Paul planted the church in Galatia, false preachers, mainly those from Jewish background, introduced a different gospel to the congregation. Yes, they probably preached the gospel of Christ or salvation by grace, but they added to that the ceremonial law and more specifically the circumcision. In other words, they preached in order to be a good Christian, you must be a good Jew first. The Galatian church fell for this theology and was swept away from grace. And therefore Paul begins his letter with these words, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now let's understand this very clearly here. It is not a gospel with a different shade or a different interpretation to it. It says it is a different gospel altogether. It's a different gospel altogether. That's why he says, which is not really a gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What is the true gospel of grace? Paul defends the gospel in the rest of this chapter as a gospel he received from God and not of man. Further, he says his gospel was the same as that preached by the apostles. Why he says this is probably because some people came from Jerusalem and they went to Galatia and then they said, well, you see, it comes out of, out of Jerusalem and, and you need to be circumcised. You need to be a Jew before you can become a Christian. He says, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we may go to the Gentiles and they then to the circumcised, which is those who were from Jewish background. He says, in other words, I received the gospel from, from Christ and this gospel is the same as the, as the gospel preached by the apostles in Jerusalem. So where these other people came from, no one knows. And what they're trying to say is just not a, a different variation of the gospel. It is a completely different gospel. For the truth of this gospel of grace and grace alone, Paul opposed even Peter. When Peter for a moment was timid and lost his boldness for this gospel and living out this gospel of grace alone, when he sided with the Jewish people more than he would side with the Gentiles, as if he would say, um, 
yeah well maybe you're right Paul and maybe these people are right and I want to sort of be in the middle Paul looked Peter straight into the eye and he said this is wrong I think this paragraph is somewhat of an embarrassment to the uh, to, to the Roman church who would think that Peter was the, the head honcho of the whole business the argument which follow, which follows in the chapter, then the next chapter, is exactly to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was an end to this ceremonial law. Further, Christ's obedience to death was also the righteousness we can never achieve, but which is ours by faith in Christ Jesus. When he became the accursed, who hanged on that tree, he not only took our transgressions upon him to deal with our sins once and for all, but he also fulfilled the law to the finest of detail to become our righteousness before God. You get the point? What we couldn't do, Jesus did. He did that. But he also became the one who took our burden of sin upon him because we couldn't do it. Therefore, by faith in him, we become children of the promise, children of grace, children of the covenant, because in Christ the promises to Abraham would be blessed, that all nations would be blessed was fulfilled. Paul writes, therefore, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Paul then goes out of his way to demonstrate the fact that salvation is by faith and not by works. The promise made to Abraham was made long before the law was given. Abraham received the promises and believed it, and it was accredited to him as righteousness because he trusted and believed God. And therefore he says in Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Not by means of works. The point of the gospel of grace is this. God gives it freely. One does not deserve it. One cannot work it out by being good. And one cannot miss out on it because one is sinful. I will repeat that because this is where our minds run into, into all sorts of difficulties because we can't understand this. One does not deserve grace. One cannot work it out by being good and when one cannot miss out on it by being sinful. That's, how, that's the whole point of grace. Therefore, this verse is important. But the scripture has shut up every 
one under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who what? Believe. Believe. The purpose of the law was then to not help us along in being good and working out our own righteousness. The purpose of the law was, as said in in Galatians chapter 3, 24-25, Therefore the Lord has become our tutor and led us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And if we didn't understand, don't understand this clearly and try to still do our own thing by working out our own righteousness, <coughs> we are like that child who waits for the will of his father to become effective. An heir, but nothing more than a child. The good news, on the other hand, is this. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive an an adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That means that we can now call God Father. Therefore, you are not longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And now we go into this, and this, when I, when, when the Lord made this clear to me, and not that I didn't understand that in the beginning, but uh, just to in put that under words, it, it, it really, really lit up something in my heart. There's a confusion between the con- those who do good works of a slave and the good works done by a son. That's the difference. Both are good works. Let's not, not argue the point. When a godless father loves his children, he does, he's doing a good job. When a, when an unfaithful, when an, when an, when an husband who does not believe in the Lord of uh, Jesus Christ is faithful to his wife, he does a good thing. The question is this. Will that save him in the eyes of Christ? I'm, 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 I'm sort of leaning towards the choice of words by, I think it was Dr. John MacArthur who said, the good works of the unbeliever can be described, can be described as bad good works. And the good works done by a son saved by grace are good, good works. The Galatians fell for what seemed to sound so good. It looked so good on the surface. Do these things be good? 
what will happen? You will be saved. The apostle says, that's not a variation on the gospel. It's a different gospel altogether. And he was so clear about this that he said, even if an angel out of heaven come and he preaches this to you, let him be cursed. And this is the gospel so many people hear and want to hear. But Paul is clear about such a gospel as he says in Galatians 4, 9 to 10. But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Yes, there are those who live in fear for God's judgment because they just want to comply with the law. And what will happen if the return of Christ catches them on the wrong moment? I only heard it last week. Someone said, let's say Christ comes in a moment that I have lost my temper. Are you scared of that? If that scares you, my dear brother and sister, something is wrong with your faith in Christ Jesus. Because Christ died for all your transgressions. You better believe it. And while some people believe this, they are still slaves. They are children of the first principles of this world as we see it in Israel before the cross of Jesus. It remains a self-help religion to gain a self-righteousness before God. For such there is no peace. For even the best of these may be may need to spend some time then where? In purgatory. Am I right? So that you can then work out a perfect righteousness, giving some extra time. Can we just get this clear? If I couldn't do it myself, what on earth give me the confidence that another sinner as bad as myself, will work out a righteousness of his own and have a bit more so that he can get me out of trouble. What nonsense! What disturbing of the, of the gospel! It is not true! It is a pitiful gospel! But there is a gospel which speaks of being sons. Paul uses an allegory in speaking of two women, Hagar and Sarah. Hagar produces an offspring of slaves who by own effort want to attain their own righteousness. But he says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and the son, for the son of the bondwoman shall be 
an heir with the son with the free women? No. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bond woman, but of a free woman. That's the allegory. Children born of free women live lives driven and controlled by the Spirit of God. And he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see the difference here? Saved by grace, born of the Spirit, walk by that Spirit. And what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Some people say you go in a state of airy-fairiness somewhere between heaven and earth and you drift along and I just can't work it out. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Of course, Jesus himself said that the Spirit will come to teach us all things concerning him. Christ set us free from sin because this freedom is not a freedom to do as we wish because there is a war raging in our minds. What does the Spirit do? He teaches about the salvation in Jesus Christ and he once again confirms to us the fact that Christ is our righteousness. And he helps us in the struggle. And what is this war about? Galatians 5.17 For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. What then is the fruit of the spirit? Once the spirit takes control of your life, what's the fruit of that spirit? The fruit of the spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are good things. And it says the law's never been against these things. Continue to do the good things. You're not off the hook when you're saved by grace to say, well, oh, now I can do whatever I like. I'm free. I, I can just, yeah. I don't need to do good, good works. No, 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 no. That would be another gospel once again. The good work of the son as opposed to the good works of the slave or the good works of the person who is not saved by grace and who is still trying to achieve his own righteousness opposed to the person who found salvation in Christ just as Paul and Manasseh, is now defined. And my dear brother and sister, listen very carefully here because this is extremely important. The good works of the Son is what follows faith in Christ. Good works is what follows faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What, when, when, when did this all happen? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. It's important. When by faith they believe that Christ died for them by faith they are united with Christ his death become their death 
His resurrection became their resurrection. His new life by faith became their new life. That's why we were given the Spirit of God. Paul writes about this reality when he says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I know now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see the difference? I don't live this life so that in the end God will save me. I live this life because, because Christ gave his life for me. And by faith, I took hold of it and I become as good as dead. Now, that, this crucifying of the flesh is an ongoing process too. It is an expression in the way we live to fulfill the law of love. Paul writes, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see how easily it is to go from this transition of the good works for a Christian as things that follow salvation and not good works that precede salvation. He further declares, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Not my good works. Just the cross of Jesus. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The good deeds of the law as we who are free in Christ should be lived out as love to God and love to our neighbor. And Galatians chapter 6 spells it out. And I can't do justice to that chapter this morning. And I'm sorry. I will come back to it sometime. That chapter 6 where it says, Do not give up being good. It talks about serving one another. Bear one another's burdens. And therefore, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see? The law is not a means of good work. It's the standard for good works. He talks about humility. For if everyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to one another. We cannot see good works as an option it is the essence of our Christian life. Therefore, let us not lose heart in doing good. And these good works should be done and should be seen in our actions towards one another's Christians, but also to those who still do not believe. So then, verse 10, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I conclude. What is it that really counts? 
I quote the words of the Apostle. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation. You get that? To be a new creation by faith on account of the righteousness of Jesus Christ only. That's what counts. Good works will follow. Don't worry about that. It will follow. And this new creation, my dear brother and sister, is what we receive by the grace of God, by faith in Christ alone. And it calls us to good works in his name. May God preach the truth of this gospel to your heart and make it known and understandable even in the face of stumbling words of a preacher. Amen. Our God and our Father, we thank you that we could in a very short space of time look at the book of Galatians and and understand that what counts is the fact that we are a new creation. What counts is the fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ. What counts is the fact that we are born again. What counts is the fact that we do good works because you have shown your mercy and your grace to us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, not to give up doing good. Amen.